I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts or on your mobile device. And we're in Acts chapter 1, uh, beginning at verse 15, or you can find that on the screen right behind me. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, and together the crowd numbered about 120 persons, and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. And so they proposed two. Joseph, called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Is that a prayer that you can pray authentically? Lord, you know my heart. In other words, do your daily practices, your ways of living, your ways of making decisions, testify to that truth? Is the idea that that God knows your heart, is that, is that comforting? Does it make you anxious? In our scripture for this morning, the, the apostles begin to determine what the post-ascension church is going to look like. Jesus is gone. Now what? And, and they begin here in a very logical place, right? They begin by determining leadership. And here, Luke, the writer of Acts, he points out that the crowd numbered 120 people in ancient Jewish texts, suggests that this was the number required as the minimum number for a village to warrant its own judicial assembly. Luke wants his Jewish readers to understand that, that this group was a legitimate decision-making body. How do you go about making difficult decisions. The process that is thus outlined here in Acts is informative for us in our own decision-making processes, both as a church, but, but also in our homes, in our businesses, and in our individual lives. Determine the problem. Determine the qualifications for a satisfactory solution. Determine solutions which satisfy those qualifications. Pray, and then choose. And so here in Acts, they start right there at the beginning. Determine the problem. After Judas's betrayal and subsequent death, there is a need to replace him, to bring the number of apostles back up to 12. 
Now, it's not known exactly why 12 was needed. There is likely a connection to the 12 tribes of Israel, but I think it also speaks to, to our tendency to gravitate towards what is familiar. Well, Jesus chose 12, so there should be 12 of us. And it may, in fact, be the first example of the seemingly ubiquitous human ethic. This is the way we did it before. So, in any case, it's determined that they need to choose a twelfth apostle. They determine the problem. Then they go on to determine the qualifications for a satisfactory solution. I'll reread for you again verses 21 and 22. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. They determine that it needs to be one of the followers who was with them from the beginning, from the time that Jesus was baptized up to Christ's ascension. It needed to be someone who had witnessed the miracles, who had been with them on the journey to Jerusalem, someone who had seen the triumphant entry into Jerusalem, someone who had been there for the arrest, for the crucifixion, for the resurrection. Luke's concern here seems to be with reliable witness. Whoever is chosen needs to be able to provide a reliable account of what really happened, what Jesus actually did and said. But it also follows that what Luke is saying is, is that this is where I have received the information that I am giving to you. The information that I've written down in the gospel the information I'm now writing in the Acts of the Apostles, it's based on first-hand witness. And so after determining these qualifications, they name the qualified candidates, Joseph and Matthias. You know, when you are able to articulate what criteria you are looking for in a solution— it's far easier to identify solutions that fit the criteria. And this is true of menial tasks like grocery shopping and cop complex ones like finding a mate in life. The best way to ensure that you will overspend at the grocery store is to not make a list. And interestingly, we are probably more diligent about making our grocery lists than we are about enumerating our needs when it comes to looking for a life partner. How have you gone about seeking someone to be in relationship with? You know, as I think of the situation now and with the rise of dating apps, I see a lot more swiping left and right than I do trying to understand who God has created you to be with. You know, once we have a list of qualifications, we can make a list of qualified candidates. And, and whatever the task, once we have our list of viable options, the, this next step is perhaps the most critical. Once the disciples have their two options, they stop and they pray. Did you hear their prayer? It says, then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. 
Lord, you know our hearts. Now reveal your heart to us. Friends, this is where faith begins. This is where faith begins with the knowledge that God knows our heart and a deep desire to align our hearts with God's. You know, too often we pray for God to join us rather than praying that we would join God. And so what would it look like What would it look like if we became a church that desperately sought to align our hearts with God's will? What if we could become a community of faithful individuals, of faithful families, who from day to day, Monday through Sunday, sought to align ourselves with the will of God, with the heart of God? I'll tell you what would happen. We would transform this community. Fort Lauderdale would be forever changed. You would be forever changed. And it begins with this simple prayer, Lord, you know our hearts. Show us what to do. And so, this curious thing happens next, right? The disciples pray, and then it says that they cast lots. Now, this may seem like a strange choice to us, but but it was not one without scriptural precedent. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast in the lap, but the decision, the decision is wholly the Lord's. Their process serves to remove any of their own biases. There are some 70 examples of casting lots used in sacred practice in scripture, and, and we don't know exactly what casting lots was. We don't know exactly what it was that they would have used. There are a few different notions out there among historians and biblical scholars, but, but a pretty good modern-day equivalence would have been flipping a coin. And while that may sound arbitrary, remember, remember that they have already determined two qualified candidates. They're not choosing at random, but rather picking between two candidates with resumes. I'm going to take that off for now. They're picking between two candidates with resumes that match the job description. Two solutions that satisfy the qualifications. While I'm guessing most in here won't begin incorporating the coin flip into their decision tree, I'll say that that I've been part of a number of committee or team meetings that would have been well served to simply flip a coin at the end of the decision-making process. At some point, at some point, we have to choose. And in some cases, the mere presence of too many good options is actually the problem. American psychologist Barry Schwartz calls this decision paralysis. He calls it the paradox of choice. And in a 2005 TED Talk, he says that with so many options to choose from, people find it very difficult to choose at all. He goes on to share this compelling example of a study done on employee investment in voluntary retirement funds. Stay with me here, you non-finance people. 
The study examined the records of one million employees and 2,000 places of work, and, and these records were provided by, by one of the largest mutual fund companies in the United States. And what the study found was that for every 10 mutual funds that the employer offered as an option for investment, the rate of participation by employees actually went down 2%. So if an employer offered 50 funds, then 10% fewer employees participated than if you only offered five. Why? Because with 50 to choose from, it's so hard to choose that you'll put it off until tomorrow, and then tomorrow, and tomorrow, and tomorrow, and of course, tomorrow never comes. And now remember, not only does this mean that people are choosing not to prepare for retirement, but in many cases are giving up significant money-matching programs by their employers. In some cases, they're giving up up to $5,000 a year in this particular study, all because they fail to choose from a pool of qualified solutions. But I think that there is something much deeper at work than the paradox of choice which prevents us from choosing so much of the time. At the heart, at the heart is a lack of belief that God is sovereign, that God is in control, or that God even cares. The lack of belief that God is at work in and through our choices, and even in spite of them. You know, with respect to the apostles, was having 12 really the, the secret sauce to the growth of the church? You know, as the apostles were, were martyred, we don't read of them continuing to replace leaders to make that magic number 12. And yet the church still managed to grow. The spread of Christianity has greatly outpaced population growth. Has that growth depended on this decision here in Acts 1? I'm not sure, but it seemed important to them at the time. And maybe 12 mattered. And maybe it didn't. But God sure worked through their human process. You see, they had to start somewhere. And don't we believe that God is still at work? And if we do, shouldn't that knowledge free us to be faithful decision makers. So what would it look like if we could live out the prayer, Lord, you know our hearts, show us yours. Or in making decisions, will we hesitate at the critical moment because we are so aware of our own shortcomings, of our own flaws? and brokenness? Will we fail to choose because we see our own flaws? Alpha founder Nicky Gumbel shared this story in his commentary, The Bible, in one year. He said there was a water bearer in India who had two large pots, both hung on the ends of a pole which he carried around his neck. One of the pots had a crack in it, while the other pot was perfect and always delivered a full portion of water. 
At the end of the long walk from the stream to the house, the cracked pot always arrived half full. The poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection and miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. I have been able to deliver only half of my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all of this work, and, and you don't get full value from your efforts. And the bearer said to the pot, Did you not notice that there were flowers on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? That's because I have always known about your flaw, and I planted flower seeds on your side of the path. And every day while we walk back, you've watered them. And for two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate the table. And without you being just the way you are, there would not be this beauty to grace the house. Friends, God is waiting to decorate the house with the flowers of our own broken decision-making. If we will simply learn to rely on God's grace and goodness, if we will learn to faithfully show up and pray, Lord, you know our hearts. Show us yours. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.